Tea with HB is for everyone who dreams of a better world. Together, let's brew a new reality. Vulnerability. Noun. The quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. We all experience feeling vulnerable in life, especially when online. But for disabled people, vulnerability is not just a feeling or a possibility, it's a daily reality. Whether it's dirty looks from using a mobility aid like a wheelchair, medical gaslighting from doctors, or a pandemic where we are more likely to die, disabled people are vulnerable. To help me explore this sensitive topic is Shannon Barry, the person who inspired me to start Tea with HB. Shannon is a superb actress and writer, and you can buy her poetry book, In the Event This Doesn't Fall Apart, online now. It's about falling in love whilst dealing with chronic illness, and it's heartwarmingly beautiful. You'll be able to hear my excitement about interviewing Shannon throughout this whole episode, which is why the cup of tea I'm recommending is Sakura Green Tea, or Cherry Blossom Flavoured Green Tea. It's exceptionally soothing and refreshing. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Tea with HB. It's so great to finally have you. So nice to meet you. So I think you probably know this, but you are actually the reason that Tea with HB exists as a thing, because before I discovered your writing, I just cried whenever I talked about chronic oh. illness. And not to say that I don't still do that sometimes. Of course. But like you gave me the courage to talk about it. So thank you so much for being here. <laughs> that is so kind. Thank you. Gosh, I like can't even wrap my head around that. That's so nice. <laughs> I'm obviously a kind of smaller person in the online sphere, but I think any number, like even when I had a hundred people listening to what I had to say, it was such a feeling of pressure and I don't know how you deal with it. <laughs> It is. It's a big feeling of pressure. And I feel so lucky that I've curated like a community of kind and thoughtful people. But then it also does put on the pressure to like never say the wrong thing and to be the kindest possible version of yourself, which in a way is very good. It holds you accountable. But in another way, obviously, I'm a human who can make mistakes or be uninformed on something. Yeah, that's so true. And I think a lot of online spaces are just completely missing nuance and you're not really allowed to have a bad day if you live with people you're going to see them at their worst you're going to see them when they're grumpy or whatever and you're just not allowed to do that online and I think that's really bad it's so true it's hard too because it exists forever and like I didn't know that you had a blog gosh yeah I I sometimes even I forget that it still exists (laughs) and is up there like people will be like wait what you have a blog and when I first started writing um about my Crohn's in college and it was before every social media kind of became every platform you know like where they were like now we do video and writing and this and that so it was like in a way it was kind of nice to have it all separated and at the time I had been diagnosed for only a few years and then I ended up traveling abroad studying abroad and um that was like a whole thing because I had to get a new doctor and like get my medicine which didn't exist in New Zealand shipped over there I cannot believe how brave you were well brave and stupid (laughs) that's your 20s though right exactly (laughs) it was like a thing where my college boyfriend and I we had broken up and I was like I can't stay in the city where we dated like I have to travel you know because we broke up because he was moving and I was like well I'm gonna move too crazy and I never would have ever done that had I not been like in the throes of like, I'm sad, you know what I mean? And and I was at that point too, still kind of in denial about um, how sick I was, I think. Like I was like, well, why can't I do things the way everyone else can do them? And like, I want to study abroad. And I originally wanted to study abroad in Singapore, but was not allowed to because of um, the airborne illnesses at the time. I was on immunosuppressants and it was too dangerous. Um, but I still listed it as my first choice anyway, because I was like, well, I'm not going to let this control me, whatever. And then I ended up going to New Zealand and like my medicine didn't exist there, as I said, and we had to like get it shipped over, but it has to be um, refrigerated. So like, oh God, it probably costs so much money. My mom never told me. And like, I was so determined that I wanted to have like a usual college experience I think because I maybe had felt that some of it had been robbed from me in the earlier years because I was diagnosed in my second year and so this was my final year and I was like I'm going to do everything just like everybody else can and of course like I did but I certainly didn't do it the way everyone else can yeah Um, but while I was in New Zealand 
I saw an article on a girl who was like writing long Instagram captions and I thought oh that's so cool like I wonder if I could try that and so I did and then that's when I kind of started writing even more on Instagram and obviously it was a shorter form than my blog and right around that time was also I was still posting on my blog but I was entering remission and I had so much to say when I was in college and so sick and then traveling and then once I kind of got back from New Zealand I was like oh I feel like I'm rehashing the same surgeries the same experiences because I wanted something to still be able to post about you know what I mean and so that's kind of why the blog trickled out it was like a combination of getting a little bit healthier and feeling like I've told what I needed to say for the moment and then writing primarily more on Instagram that by the time that my health got intense again and I had more to say it just made more sense to post about it directly where I was posting the rest of my writing but I am still very proud of it and you should be absolutely I love her (laughs) happy girls guys no it was really cute and it's like I don't know if someone asked me what you wrote about I wouldn't predominantly say chronic illness I'd probably say friendship and as I said I didn't I didn't follow Mm. you knowing that you were chronically ill or anything like that um it was just a really nice surprise to Mm -hmm. be like wait people with this kind of thing can live like it was just incredible (laughs) exactly it was part of my whole idea for even creating the blog in the first place um when I was diagnosed I obviously googled it immediately as you do and so I was like looking through google trying to find people in my situation I was 20 years old I was in my second year of college I had had one boyfriend was like super interested in falling in love and um everything I saw was either like beautiful put together women talking about having Crohn's but like not talking about any of the symptoms or like I I had the way I got diagnosed was I had surgery an emergent surgery on my butthole that was like I did not know I was it's a great opener (laughs) thank you (laughs) when your movie comes out like (laughs) right and so I I was like it was so embarrassing everyone's like oh my god you're in the hospital why and I was like "Mm -hmm," you know personal reasons like I I didn't want to tell them but I wanted everyone to know I was sick I was so torn between the two and I would find these blogs of beautiful women just not talking about the symptoms I was like did something happen to your butthole too I don't know because all I see is like pictures of you looking perfect and like talking about your like regimens you know and then I would find other like blogs or posts or videos of people um predominantly men because I think like as men and women like genders are socialized to deal with their illnesses differently particularly something like Crohn's disease where it's like seen as gross or whatever Mm -hmm. um and I think that this is not the way it should be but it was a bunch of like comedians making jokes about it that like really reduced it to potty humor which like of course there's a place for that you know but it was like only jokes and no acknowledgement of the fact that it was actually really painful or intense and um And so I felt really lost. I was like, well, I want to be like this beautiful, attractive girl that I see, but I also am dealing with like all these horrible, gross things that these men are getting up and making jokes about, but they're treating it like it's so funny and I feel awful and like, what do I do? And so I started writing for the voice that I had wanted to read, which was, like you said, someone who their life didn't revolve around this but they acknowledged that it was really painful but they could still be happy and have fun and be seen as attractive to you know whomever they wanted to be attractive to and I tried to create a space for that um and then I think it rolled over into like my larger writing and my Instagram and I felt very lucky that it could be just one component because I think now we live in a time where the internet is all about like find your niche and like post about this one thing and like that's who you are that's your online space and I accidentally sort of became a voice for advocacy which is amazing and I'm so grateful for but my space that I was trying to create was not the space of advocacy it was the space of like look I can still be a girl and a person and happy and also sick yeah you do that in a way I haven't seen anyone else 
do that. I create, you know, infographics trying to explain illnesses because I have so many different diagnoses and nobody knows what any of them are. And when I was, I think similar to you, it's a very mm-hmm. common experience, unfortunately, but we're told that our pain isn't real uh, repeatedly through those formative years and it really has a damaging impact so yeah like you said I wanted to be that voice that I had needed back then Mm -hmm. but it just sort of makes me sad that kind of 12 years later I'm 21 now and I get messages from from people and it's happening to them still that they're just being told that it's not real and I don't know how we move on from that and I think voices like yours just speaking about it as a real thing that's what we need more of because that's what's going to make the change because it makes people aware not because they're looking for it but because they're following an attractive girl who's just having a fun life and then it comes right up, you know? I totally agree and I think your infographics are amazing they've helped me and I wish that I had something like that I think that is one way we battle it it's like maybe the doctor doesn't believe you or you're not getting the information you're looking for but then when people do inevitably google something they're seeing like you know charming effervescent people explaining it and trying to help them and being like yes I'm part of this and it is it helps so much with the loneliness which yes Mm -hmm. has been like my overwhelming experience of chronic illness even with all my friends even with all my support like I constantly am dealing with loneliness yeah and I don't know, everybody uses social media, I think, in some ways to combat loneliness. And for me, with my health, it's been huge because I don't meet a ton of people in my daily life who struggle with the same things that I struggle with, especially like in the industry that I'm in. And so it's really helpful. And and I think also to your point, there are a lot of, um, you know, powerful people or celebrities or successful people who do have illnesses. But I think the nature of celebrity and like what people in what industry typically become celebrities creates like this pressure of silence because you know say take acting or singing or whatever art is where celebrities usually come from there's pressure to be healthy to like be the person who can tour or can be on set and so you know you think of like probably the most famous person with Crohn's disease is Pete Davidson and like when I think of him I don't think Crohn's disease which I guess is like a good thing but you know you think like oh I I don't know much about his story I don't know much about his diagnosis which is of course like his own prerogative you know yeah but I do think there's a pressure to at least I feel like parade around as if I am healthy and that oh am I because that's the definition of success Mm-hmm. Am I be. making myself like less, uh, like more of a flight risk by talking about it? Do people who have I lost roles to this? You know, do people like my audition and go to my Instagram and see me posting about chronic migraine and Crohn's disease and think, ooh, she might call out sick? You know, and and especially in an industry where like nobody can call in for you, yeah. like nobody can do your job. Mm-hmm people would lose so much money if you weren't there it's a very risky thing and I think um illness is like very incompatible with the career that I have chosen and and because of that it can be so tempting to uh like sort of try to enjoy the privilege of an invisible illness which is like people don't necessarily know I'm sick but then that comes with all sorts of negative effects too of like having to work twice as hard and nobody knows it and hide symptoms and hide you know like triggers and my food allergies and (laughs) stuff and I've lost out on so many cool commercials because they were like no food allergies and it's too long to explain why you can or can't have something and it's so isolating and, and everybody's different and it's a personal isolation even someone with the exact same diagnosis as you Mm-hmm. they might not get it because it affects everybody so differently. Exactly. And and I think because we need more people to speak out about it, but the very people that we would need to speak out about it, the most like followed, you know, highly respected, successful people almost can't speak out about it 
beyond whether or not they would want to, which obviously is a personal choice. But you can't without feeling like you're damaging your reputation in the industry as someone who can work hard and can show up. And Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very confusing, yeah. you know? We're seeing a huge wave of change in the UK after Jack Thorne's McTaggart lecture because um, he's set up a kind of underlying health conditions, like a company called that, to promote accessibility within the TV industry and the entertainment industry. And oh, wow. because... And he acknowledges, like, I'm, you know, I'm a white mm. man. I'm more able to use the power that I have. But the reason that we live in such an ableist society is because, you know, disabled, chronically ill people aren't in those positions of power. But they're not in those mm-hmm. positions of power, not because they're unable to, but because they're stopped from getting there. And it's just... it. I do think that media is the way it will change. I think more yeah. stories... Because stories are always how change happens, in my opinion. Telling a story gets mm-hmm. through to people so much more tangibly than anything else. You're not a bad actress because you have Crohn's. Right. They could make it accessible for you, and you do a brilliant job. And it's like, it's the social model of disability. You're not disabled, but you are in this society. Right, because you're in an ableist society. Yeah. It is really frustrating. And I don't really know how we get out of that other than telling stories. I think that's so true. But then how do you tell stories without putting people who can tell those stories in positions of power? And isn't it... Exactly. I saw something. Isn't it like the the ratio of like how many disabled people there are versus like how many disabled people appear in like movies and TV is like one of the widest gaps. So sorry to interrupt you there, Shannon, but this is Future Blossom from the editing room giving you some facts and figures on this very topic. In the entire history of the Academy Awards, which spans 93 years, there have been 61 Oscar nominations for actors portraying characters with disabilities. Of those, 27 are winners, but only two of them were actually portrayed by disabled actors. Among the top 100 films of 2019, only 2.3% of all speaking characters had a disability, and according to writers, only 1% of TV writers are actually disabled. So there is a huge gap when it comes to disability representation, and if you're interested in learning more, I will link my sources in the episode notes. But yes, I guess you could say that disabled people are- One of the most underrepresented groups in media. And I'm like, well, of course it is, because you get able-bodied people to play every disabled role because they're less risky, quote unquote. Absolutely, yeah. It's so frustrating. And it's so hard because we're not incapable there are so many Mm -hmm. talented disabled people but it's it's a problem even when a disabled person gets a role they're not given a trailer that's accessible to them or they're not given disabled loo or whatever it is it's just like this is this is really basic and it's a human right and why aren't we there yet yeah um i want to quote something that you've written just because i think you summarized what we were just talking about really well but you said oh my gosh i'm so excited (laughs) You wrote, my illness is a huge part of my life, but a small part of who I am. And I know we've talked about this a bit already, but how do you balance that? Because I'm really struggling. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I feel like it comes in waves, right? And like, like I, Shannon, as a person, feel like I have so many qualities and so many aspects to myself and it's like it can be alarming i think i almost said in my old age <laughs> like now that i'm a little <laughs> bit older i'm looking back at when i was younger and thinking like oh my gosh so many aspects of my personality that i think are so unique to me probably are there because of my illness you know like the fact that i write so much i used to be really active as a kid i used to run around my parents thought i was going to be like a forest ranger when I grew up because I was always outside I wanted to be a cowgirl I wanted to like barrel race at the rodeo and then I got really sick so I did a lot more writing and reading and watching movies and got really interested in that and and so of course I would be lying to say it doesn't shape you right especially if you're sick from a young age but I do feel like I'm so much bigger than it and so much more than that and it like enriches my I don't know if I want to say it enriches my life because obviously there's so many negative 
parts, but I do think it enriches like who I am and I'm so much more empathetic and I feel like I just have this intangible part that can never be touched by it and can never be harmed by it. And I don't know whether that's like my own internal strength or I, I always say um, to my friends, like when I'm scared of whatever medical procedure is coming up, I, I'm like, oh, I just, I have to kill the part of me that's scared. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, there's no other option. I have to get it done. So I just have to do it. So you just tell yourself in your yeah. brain, like you have to do this. And, and I don't know, I really, I value that it's given me that skill and I resent it. And I feel both like touched and untouched by it. And I feel like there's a core of who I am who like, like I said, just can't be harmed by it. But then of course, so much of who I am has been made up of like what I've been through and how difficult it's been even in small ways and I think I think I guess my solution to feeling like it's a big part of my life but a small part of who I am is that I got to a point where I stopped fighting with it and I stopped trying to hide it and I stopped trying to push it down and mask it and I just let it be part of who I was and then the part that it took up felt so small you know and there was so much more and I thought oh yeah this is like part of who I am if I stop spending all this energy trying to hide it and I just put it right there on my Instagram and I'm like yeah sometimes I write about this that's part of what's going on with me but I also have all this other stuff to say I really realized like Oh, yeah, it is just a small part. It's a huge part of my life. feels like a full-time job sometimes. <laughs> like, I'm looking at my calendar right now, and I have everything health-related highlighted in orange. And I'm going to say that there's more orange than there is blue, which is my actual work schedule when I go into my job. So, like, sometimes it does feel like, whoa, that is a lot going on in my life. And there will definitely be times in my life where it is the main thing happening to me. But it's never the main part of me. I've got so much else going on like up in my head you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that's so true I a lot of people when they ask me that question they're like oh it made you a better person right it made you more empathetic (sighs) and it's like I like to think that I'd be nice anyway (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that my core is good and that's exactly what I was going to say I think everyone has a core and it's specifically difficult when you get ill as a child, I think. Um, I was 10 mm-hmm. when my symptoms first started. How old were you? 10. Twins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just feel like that happens. Everything I read of yours, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, it's a funny age anyway, because you're figuring out who you are in that whole decade, I feel. And so trying to separate yourself from illness when it happens at the exact same time is impossible and that's a good and a bad thing exactly everyone's deciding their favorite color and what they like to wear and what their nickname is and like what their favorite show is we're just deciding whether we can get into school that day (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly and like how does that not reshape who you think you are like I like playing sports well I used to but now I don't anymore I wonder why it's because like I'm constantly sick and my stomach is always cramping and yeah. I'm really sorry that happened to you because 10 is such a horrible age to go through something like Literally. that because nobody believes you. And, like, I, I also have the clearest memories of, like, not knowing how to explain what was going on either. Like, Exactly. I felt like an adult and my friends were children. I was like, you guys, like, don't have this? And they were like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, does it hurt when you poop? And they were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, how do you have that conversation? I, as a 28-year-old, can, like – with an education and having read so much, you know, I can, I can think about these things and like talk about them and read theory on it and read research on it. But like at 10, I didn't know anything. Nobody was giving me those resources. I didn't have access to those resources. I didn't know the first thing about finding anything out. I remember like going to the doctor and them asking me questions and like all I could say was my stomach hurts, my tummy hurts. Like exactly. I'm still calling it my tummy. You're, there's you know? no language. There's no language. Nobody taught me how to say no. anything. John Green has a quote that's like, "Pain it evades language." 
because we can say it's stinging, mm-hmm. but it's not stinging. It's like stinging. It's like stabbing. It's like aching, but that's not yeah what it is. And it's so difficult. Totally. I know. Now, now, like, I don't know, once you're in the community for long enough, once you've been to enough doctors, you know what to say. You know, you're like, oh, my head yeah. throbs. Oh, my stomach is sharp. My stool is loose. It's, you know, whatever. Like, you can say all these things. But when I was a kid, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know. Yeah, I was like, what's a stool? Course, yes. What? I didn't know there was, like, different ways you could poop and that like for everyone else it was different I was like this isn't how it's happening yeah. to all of you literally I have never spoken about this to any of my friends or my parents because again it's like some sort of a taboo subject and right especially when it's something like you poop every day or every other day or like and same with eating like every time I ate my stomach would hurt like me too and you so you just think that it's normal of course so I was like oh yeah without even realizing that that's what you're doing yeah because no one ever told me it wasn't or no one ever asked me yeah. if I was okay like I was just like oh yeah hate lunch right guys yeah, <laughs> the exactly. whole period after lunch sucks <laughs> <laughs> doesn't your stomach hurt literally. so bad everyone's like what I was literally just like oh so I'm not gonna make it to 20 I'll probably die within the next few years like nobody else is dealing with this and when I was 10 like so it was 2010 Google hadn't really got to the point where you could search for something and it would come up with something useful. You could fall down so many rabbit holes and it would just scare Mm. me. So I just stopped looking for it. Um, And I didn't have any words to describe it. I would just cry and I I didn't know how to... And I wasn't a crier. And it's those things, our identities, like not a crier, I'm a bookworm, I enjoy tennis, I enjoy netball, and all those things are taken away from you. You have no language to describe what it's like. You have no one else going through the same thing. And kids are mean, man. It's so difficult. And um, yeah, yeah, I was 10 when my symptoms started. I was 15 when I was diagnosed. And you don't, at least I didn't get a pamphlet or anything. The diagnosis didn't feel like oh and now here's your treatment plan it was it wasn't like that for me and I just mm. I just couldn't explain it I couldn't ask for the help I needed I was being bullied and discriminated against so badly but I didn't realize it and I didn't realize that I wasn't realizing it obviously and oh YouTube recommended me Dodie yeah. and I was like oh this is how I feel because it was her song called Down I don't know if you know I don't it think so. she says like I woke up as heavy as lead and, and it's about depression, but for me, it was about my pain. And I didn't follow anyone mm-hmm. online because I was really nervous about privacy and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't have my real name out there. I didn't have anything, but I had an mm-hmm. art account and I followed Dodie from the art account because I was like, she's safe, right? She's really nice. It's fine. And then I found you through her and mm-hmm. you were talking about it. And suddenly all these words would just and I was like where has this been my whole life and I was 15 16 and you had to go without that through all of this like how (laughs) you're gonna make me cry oh that's so nice I honestly I I don't want to come across as like weird (laughs) no that means so much to me thank you it's like it's like you know how people always talk about you know healing your inner child and stuff and like I just I really hate that you had to go through it too but I'm so grateful that you did because you made my life so I know <laughs> how does this sound oh thank you <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry Jen no please don't oh. be sorry that means so much to me like that's that's like if I could put into words exactly what I wanted and and writing I always tell that story of like oh I wrote for like what I wanted to read which is true but I I didn't do it for you I did it for me it was selfish you know like I was like I don't see it anywhere so I have to make it so that it exists and then the idea that like the that lonely moment where I googled it and I didn't like what I saw that like somebody else had that but there was my page yeah that means so much to me you didn't sugarcoat it it was so real but it was also and yes I like dressing up and yes I like glitter and yes I like avatar and I was just like (laughs) oh my god I'm allowed to be me (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm just really so glad that you're not like a famous successful actor yet because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to say this to you and I was literally saying to my mum like 
oh my god I'm so lucky to be alive at the same time as my favorite writer but to get to speak to her like what am I gonna do (laughs) oh my gosh um yeah so not to follow up with a really intense personal question but do you ever still have that thought process of my pain isn't real did you ever have that did you internalize that because for me every time and we don't have the same conditions I know but even when I'm having like a seizure and again that's something like I used to be the biggest bookworm I love reading and I haven't been able to read in like three years because I started having these seizures for no apparent reason and even when I'm having a seizure my thought Mm. process in my head is like oh you're just putting it on for attention you're just lying it's not real get over yourself like all these things and I just wondered if if you had that too if that gets better if you've moved on from it I definitely have it still sometimes because um how do you not it's it's the thing of growing up hearing something over and over um especially from authoritative figures mm-hmm. like teachers teachers and doctors and, and especially even family members sometimes oh, of course and and especially to young women and um just to be clear I've been saying like women and men a lot and when I use those terms I'm like inclusive of trans women as women and trans men as men and everything thank you yeah but just my experience as a young girl, like going to doctors and them not believing you and getting sent to therapists, which looking back, I'm like, is that a little progressive? Like at the time it felt so like I was like, no, I'm here for physical pain. And they were like, go talk your feelings out. And now I'm looking back. I'm like, I guess that was good, but like not what I needed. Like I just needed you to believe me. And they sent me to a therapist and she had me as an exercise draw what pain felt like to me and I drew someone with a stomach ache and then I never had to go back to the therapist they were like okay I guess like (laughs) when they asked me that question I uh, took a black crayon and a red crayon and just scribbled like across the whole page and then I scrambled it up and then I handed it over I was like there you go she was like "Ooh, this is pretty pretty literal I think you should go back to the doctor (laughs) of course I totally relate to that and like no, I, I totally I totally get what you mean, that it's it's necessary and good that you're given mental health help as well. But I think the mistake is separating the two. The two are very much connected and saying, oh, it's just in your head isn't helpful because, well, yes, but so is physical pain. Yeah. And and having people tell you that you're doing it for attention. I got that my whole life and I did internalize it. And sometimes I still will feel that way, especially if I... Like, there were a few years um, after college where I was in remission with my Crohn's, which basically, it's, like, a really nice word, but it kind of means that, like, your symptoms are less, but, like, you're still taking all your medicines, you're still doing everything the way you would. Um, and so... Yeah, it's like I you felt... said, even, even when the symptoms aren't severe, whatever that means to mm-hmm. whoever, it's still a full-time job. Of course, yeah. I was still going to the doctor, things. still doing yeah. my shots, still taking all my medicine, still... Um, you know, like eating my very particular diet and everything, but I was in remission. So effectively all of that was working. And I felt like a fraud um, being this advocate for Crohn's and posting about it and people reaching out to me saying, oh, this means so much to me. Cause I was thinking like, Ooh, I feel better though. Like, is this wrong that I'm, oh my God, you know, yes. making this name for myself as a person who struggles when like things are kind of okay. And then once things got not okay again, I had this like feeling of like oh you know good I'm back in the game I'm not a fraud anymore but then I was like well I was I was never a fraud that's so silly of course and everyone knows it's it's cyclical and that's frankly rude of myself to tell myself that you know (laughs) it's literally me every other Mm -hmm. day because you know I'm a part-time wheelchair user and to to even process that in my mind I'm like you know, I haven't bought myself an electric wheelchair yet because I don't feel I deserve one because I'm yeah. not using it full time. I think it's so cruel the way we like treat ourselves like that. My friend has um, EDS and like obviously you sometimes have to use mobility help and sometimes you don't. And the internalized ableism around that. Yes. Again, it's, it's not the our bad fault. looks we would get like literally. Yeah. yeah at Disneyland yeah. when she would get up out of her chair and people would like look at you. It's oh. like. Just, hello like have you ever thought yeah. that you know how they people use crutches like they just haven't literally they ha- that's what a chair is mind. for yeah 
haven't you ever seen someone who like needs to sit down a lot don't you think a chair might be useful with wheels on it that comes around with them like it's just so so annoying I I just don't know I don't know where that started is it the fact that the wheelchair is the symbol for disability so you can only you only deserve sympathy if you look like that full-time I just don't know how that became a thing I think it's a bigger issue and um I don't know if you've ever felt this way but like if you're it's the whole like when you're grieving you can't smile thing and like if you're one thing you have to stay that one thing and like it's like the niches online (laughs) exactly you're not allowed to grow you're not people people love categories we love labels we love to set things in little boxes we do it with you know gender sexualities everything Mm -hmm. Mm. and I feel like finally like this next generation is kind of rebelling against that in every form and I've been seeing that disability is part of that and saying like no you can you know use help when you need it and celebrate the times you don't and it doesn't make you not disabled but I think a lot of us who grew up in the generation before that have carried that internalized ableism of like well if I'm sick then like I can't smile and like I can't laugh and I can't not be in my chair and like I can't have a good day and if I have a good day then I'm better even if I'm gonna have a bad day tomorrow and like I'll have that with um my migraines where you know I'll have like this long horrible migraine and then like maybe I'll have 30 minutes where I kind of forget about it or push it down and Mm -hmm. smile or something and the second you smile someone says oh I'm so glad you're feeling better I hate that it makes me so mad and I I totally like when I'm in a wheelchair and they're like oh are you okay and it's like no I'm in a wheelchair because I'm actually feeling slightly better but I'm trying to prevent (laughs) feeling worse like it's just no connect (laughs) and it's it's so well-meaning I totally see why people say that they just see the smile and they're relieved but then what that creates in me is the feeling that I can't smile because I'm disproving that I'm in pain you know and it's it's so frustrating and it's so horrible but like to go back to your like original original question (laughs) I think I I did internalize like being told that I'm doing it for attention or making it up and I think for me that that's always going to stay with me it did get better for me specifically once I got diagnosed because I lived 10 years of being sick and people telling me that I wasn't I had colonoscopies which is how you get diagnosed with Crohn's Mm -hmm. where people told me that I was fine and um I I ended up in the hospital for an emergency surgery for like a huge terrible side effect of Crohn's that absolutely could have been prevented had I been treated Mm -hmm. for an illness which I had that I had been investigating for a long time and so I think because of that I And since I did get diagnosed and my whole life changed drastically, I really lean on that as like, no, I wasn't making it up. I wasn't making it up. I knew that. But I will say something that really gets me, and I feel like you'll probably understand this as someone who um, you said has multiple conditions going on. I always had Crohn's disease. It's been my thing, whatever. And then recently... um, I was diagnosed with chronic migraine, which was never a thing. I had never grown up having migraines. I had, you know, maybe like four that I can think of in my life after like extenuating circumstances, you know, like a long flight or something. And suddenly I was getting them like 15 or 20 times a month. And it was so extreme. And I felt like, well, what on earth are the chances that I could just have both of these things like doesn't that like now that I'm posting about this people will say like oh like is your Crohn's better I'm like no and then they'll be like oh like so now you have this new thing like is it to do with your Crohn's and the story is like very long which is like well maybe I don't know because basically like everything is connected right and people with weakened immune systems can catch all sorts of things and my chronic migraine is a trauma effect from a really, really bad flu that I got, which may or may not have been COVID um, back in February of 2020. And again, down to the ableist society, if we all just wore masks to protect each other all the time, even for a cold, yeah, <laughs> yep. we could be protecting so many yeah. people from so many illnesses. Exactly. And and so I got sick and I had this extreme migraine reaction. The way that, like, you know, you hear, like, oh, you get chronic migraines from trauma, like getting beat up or getting in a car crash. But mine was that I got so sick 
that I started having migraines and probably the reason why I got so sick is that I was on immunosuppressants for my Crohn's in the first place. So like, yes, everything in my body is interconnected, right? It's cyclical, but it feels embarrassing when people say like, oh, so now you have like this new thing too. And it makes me feel like people think I'm just like, oh, I found some success is talking about Crohn's and now I'm trying to collect issues or whatever. And you know, the feeling that it's (laughs) (laughs) exactly, I'm not trying to catch it all. I'm like (laughs) the feeling of trying to like, um it's like constantly having to prove yourself and that's not what you should be spending your time mm-hmm. on and doubting it in my own head of like well i i do like the attention it's one of the perks <laughs> honestly like i'm in pain i love to be able to talk about it i love that i you know am making people feel better about it would i give it all away if i could hell yeah but like like you when never people know what you're kind of put that, that energy on you you feel like mm-hmm, exactly but it, so I do like certainly doubt myself and it's really hard, especially, you know, when you get comments or people accuse you or look at you sort of suspiciously. And I've had so many people say like, wow, it just seems like there's like something always really wrong with you. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's just like kind of my body. And like, the idea that people assume that their bodies just are always going to work. And like, I think we all saw that in the pandemic of like, well, you know, we can fight it off. And like, I'm not too worried about if I get sick and I got either a flu or COVID and my body, I guess, eventually fought it off. But I have long term symptoms that will likely affect me for the rest of my life. And it's horrible. And I hate it. And I I don't have that trust in my body that it can fight something off the way that other people do. I'm I'm gonna I can't believe I'm saying that I literally tell no one this but you've talked about your butthole and I feel like I want to title this episode vulnerability and I've never spoken about this before but I want to because I think it's important I got a flu seven years ago ever since I've had chronic phlegm which basically means I'm like throwing up every morning and like most of the day and it's not like vomit it's just like constant always at the back of my throat and it makes and I and I wanted to be a podcast yeah you're like (laughs) and it makes everything so difficult and I and I feel so sick all the time and it's gross it's it's gross yeah and it's hard to deal with and I have like nobody talks about it because it's quite a rare thing I'd imagine as well but it's just I wish people realized like my chronic fatigue was from a cold that I had that time Mm -hmm. from tonsillitis I think I may have got fibromyalgia like and that's why I really like the term pre-disabled because you literally Mm. have no idea when it could happen to you but we know for certain that it will happen to you at some point if you live long enough so you probably want to care about it now and try to make you know give us all equal rights before it happens to you (laughs) exactly it's so it's so true and like I I have friends I would say most of my friends I have like a, a good community out here of people who do have chronic illnesses but most of my friends are extremely able-bodied and they're nice, good people, but like just watching them live their lives, not worried about it, you know? And like, and, and this isn't about the pandemic. They were all very like good and safe people with that, but just like even going on hikes and, you know, like they don't have to think about like, will I be okay tomorrow? Am I using up all my spoons? Is this going to affect me? It's it's like what you were saying earlier Mm -hmm. about killing your, your scared person fear is a privilege to have the fear mm. of the, that it might happen yeah. is such a privilege like it, don't you always feel weird when people say like well at least I have my health or like stuff like that like as if it's like the most base right and I'm like oh so you agree that it's the most base right and then they're yes. like <laughs> oh, but you're not acting it like irks it. me so much literally and I love this term like mm. passive pity mm. like oh poor you and like mm-hmm. you distance yourself and you're not acknowledging that yeah. that's doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. I have this thing. It's, like, so silly and embarrassing. But, like, having Crohn's, one of my big things is, like, always having an escape route. <laughs> like, if I had to go to the bathroom, if something were to happen. And, like, it doesn't happen constantly in my life. But I am constantly aware of it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's actually similar with migraines, too, where it's, like, I always want to have, like, the ability to, like, have a heating pad or, like, even on my healthiest days, I'm constantly aware of, like, if I got sick right now, where could I go? Could I lie down somewhere? Could I have access to a cold pack, you know? 
could I have access to a restroom? Or even just like Googling the menu. Yeah. On food yeah. So you know oh, exactly of what course. to order. Always. Oh my gosh. I oh, don't even get me started on like ordering. The fact that every single time I order, somebody has to make a joke about it, like as if I'm being the irritating one. Like they'll look to the waiter and be like, we've got a difficult one over here. I'm like, I'm sorry, you're 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 my friend and you're siding with this person who hasn't even like acted put out about Literally. it. You know, they're just doing their job no. and being nice to me. I said to someone the other day, I was like, don't look so irritated about it. I'm the one that has to live with this. Exactly. Like, I'm the one that's going to be throwing up later if they get it wrong. People like, don't understand that their joke in that one moment, you've heard it one million times before and that every single time I order, if a waiter very well-meaningly, you know, makes a little quip or one of my friends makes a little quip and I get it, they're trying to like be like make it comfortable but they make it uncomfortable we go through that situation and then we're also having to justify and like clarify this hurt me oh but I know they were well-meaning like we have to say that every time and yes. it's so exhausting I know and I wish like obviously I'm always on the side of being nice to your servers and people in the service industry I I work in the service industry oh, I always am yeah and even when people say like oh but at least you're so yeah, pretty thank you. Like, you look so well I'm like yeah and I'm not gonna yell at them or anything <laughs> of course of course and like I I work in the service industry I totally get it but something that has really affected me is whenever I go out to eat and I have to ask a million billion questions and it is embarrassing and then one of my friends makes some sort of a joke to the waiter out of like um stress you know like trying to make it okay like oh sorry we're complicated oh we got a difficult one oh you know whatever thank you so much like ha ha ha. I I promise we're not always like this or whatever and then I realized that in that moment they're trying to take care of the waiter instead of trying to take care of me and the problem with that isn't that like oh they're trying to take care of someone else and not me their friend it's that it's that they feel the need to take care of the waiter because they're telling me that what I'm doing is rude you know what I mean like oh like I'm looking after the waiter right now because you're like being irritating to them and that's sending the message that what we're doing by asking that is irritating what I'm doing by existing with an illness where I have to ask is annoying and so we need to apologize for it and obviously no one is thinking all these thoughts no one is being like oh my annoying friends like that's not how it's working but it's like we said it's the society we live in where it is seen as irritating to have to ask the waiter all those questions. I see so many sketches that have ruined my day where it's I like hate it. an irritating person who's gluten-free asking questions. Yeah, I hate the gluten-free trope. And I'm sure that that's the reason that gluten-free stuff is so much more expensive mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Because they think you're just being annoying, so you deserve to I pay know, more. I know, it's horrible. <laughs> and like, it's oh, it's just so embarrassing. And, and you can't escape the judgment when it comes to food, no matter what you look like. If you're like, like I am living my life I've been like severely underweight for my Crohn's. I've been like at a healthy weight, but like every time I order, say, you know, you order something gluten-free and then people will assume you're doing it for like a weight loss reason. Probably if you're skinny or if you're not skinny, they'll assume that, right? Which is stupid. And like, I was like out with uh, this big group of my friends, like some people I knew well and some people I didn't know well. And we were going around ordering. And like, of course I was at a restaurant where I couldn't eat a ton. And so I had to like order like I don't know like a cut up chicken breast or like something like really like you go through all the sides and you're like can I have this side but without that sauce (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes yeah and I was like some egg whites yeah and so it looked like I was just like you know that skinny bitch on a diet or whatever and like my friends like turned and like as a joke like in the silence after I ordered it being like oh can I get that you know no sauce no bread whatever they went like fat ass and like I laughed because I didn't know what else to do but like and obviously they thought they were just being funny because, like, I don't know, it, it just, it, it bothers me so much. It doesn't hurt my feelings, but it bothers me because I'm yeah. like, it made me realize I've never ordered without somebody making a joke about it. Like It's just, it's underlining all those little things. There is so much that we do as invisibly ill people mm-hmm. to make other people's lives easier, whether that's masking pain mm-hmm. or preparing the day before so that we're making other people more comfortable when we go to that event or whatever. And it's so odd to me that we do so much and something as simple as ordering at a restaurant brings so much judgment to the extent Mm -hmm. that people have to joke about it or have to like, you know, 
decrease yeah. the tension and it's like why is there tension let's just normalize this and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be on a diet or wanting to reach a certain weight or you know right. whatever to, to an extent right but it's just like can we just avoid judgment of all of this please like food is such a difficult topic and it shouldn't be <sighs> i know societally something that i've realized is that everyone will always like everyone quote unquote society as a whole will always side with the able-bodied person and that was really hard for me for a while because like a few examples are ordering at a restaurant where you know you have to ask a bunch of questions and then everybody kind of like sides with the waiter like all tv shows and movies and sketches they side with the waiter on that like oh what an annoying person asking all these questions and I remember seeing a video once of like a woman showing how she took like pictures in her outfit and then got back into her wheelchair and like in it her husband like helps her up and like helps her stand and she gets the shot and then he like helps her back into the chair and every single comment that I scrolled through was like what a keeper he's such a good guy da, 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 da. and I get that all the time with my boyfriend who yeah. number one is a keeper and is such a good guy but that's not the point. but like <laughs> but but I remember being like horrified that like this woman was showcasing like how she feels pretty and like wants to take pictures and like like thinking about like how every moment of her life is spent like calculating these things yeah. and like doing it anyway because it makes her happy and that every comment was about her partner like supporting her and that used to enrage me and I've had like so many long talks with Dom about it of people just like acting like he's a saint for being with me and having to deal with my food allergies and like oh I couldn't date someone like that people have literally said that to us like oh I couldn't do that whatever and and it's like that's fair like you of course there are no, complications to being I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> like I just mean like but like being a caregiver it's its own thing it's got its own issues you have to worry about the health yes, of the person yes, you love very whatever true, very true, but yeah. it is not ever ever harder than being the person who's sick like that is so silly to me and like the fact that everybody sides with not sides with them but empathizes with them first Poor him. and I was yeah, like or, why yeah. yeah why when you see me struggling is your first thought like oh, what a good boyfriend you have, poor Dom, that he has to see you struggle or that he has to help. And I, I couldn't get it through my head. It bothered me forever. And then Dom said, everyone empathizes with the able-bodied person in this video or whatever because that's who they are. That's who they're the closest to. Like most people can't fathom, what if I was in a wheelchair? Instead, they fathom, oh my gosh, what if I was dating someone in a wheelchair? Most people can't ever fathom, what if I had an illness? Because they're healthy that's just their life and so they think oh my gosh could I date someone like that nobody ever thinks what would I do if I had to carry around an EpiPen or have a food allergy or whatever they think oh what would I do if I met someone and I dated them and they had to do that and like would I be that good oh they're so good and they don't think about the person who's actually going through it the person who's going through it is a prop for the goodness of the person who's helping oh my goodness mic drop and that's <laughs> the tea with BB. <laughs> I think it's a symptom of a larger problem which is the dehumanization of disabled mm -hmm. people and especially when you mentioned like the ordering and the annoyance it's like it's like we're wasps or something yes and it goes back to the language we use of people in universities today are taught like say people with disabilities and it's like why we don't say people with gayness we don't say people with blondness we don't say people with fatness because it's not identities that we're like afraid mm -hmm. of or you know would be terrible to have but if you think disability is such a tragic, awful, fearful thing, then you don't want to, you don't want to put that on someone. It's like, oh no. And actually disabled, it's, it's a neutral term. It's just a fact for like people who wear glasses, if they didn't have glasses, they'd be disabled. Mm -hmm. Right. But because their disability is normalized, given, yeah, given a mobility aid, mm. it's not a disability anymore, even though it still would right. be. Um, I will tell you in terms of like imposter syndrome and when you feel well and you're like, oh, do I feel too well? Something that I really struggled with and like only kind of came to terms with in the past year or so was calling myself disabled. And like, does having same, an illness same, same. make you disabled? Because people obviously think of disability yeah. as something very visible mm -hmm, and physical mm -hmm. and like oftentimes people think of it as a mobility issue which obviously all of that falls under the umbrella but like I remember like the amount of times I've googled is Crohn's a disability and like it's weird right because you're like well yeah, same oh my you goodness. can go on government 
disability for having Crohn's. You can't be in the military if you have Crohn's. Like, there's all these things that you can't do. But to this day, when I say, like, oh, I have a disability, and people say, what is it? You look fine to me. And I say, it's Crohn's disease. People say, that's not a disability. And it's, it like, is mind-boggling disability to me. Disability, by definition, it, is something that affects your daily activities. Yeah. And it's so weird to me that people will, like, argue that. And then, of course, it makes me think, like, well, I'm not trying to, like, take a term from somebody who needs it. But also, I feel like I do need it. And, like, then, of course, there's other people who don't like hearing that term. I think yeah. I always say, like, anybody who identifies with it should be able to identify with it, you know? And, like, yeah. if you don't want to say you're disabled, more power to You don't have to. But, like, yeah. it's so weird to me to gatekeep it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it needs questioning because I used to say, I used to be, like, you know, I'm, I'm differently abled or whatever like I just have I just need extra help or whatever and it's if you question it it goes back to internalized ableism and why are you not saying this word because you're afraid yeah. of it because disability is a bad thing why why and if you keep asking yourself that like the answer is pretty clear and the way I kind of am thinking of it now is like it's kind of like what bisexual or pansexual people face if they're in a heteronormative looking relationship Mm. so if you're in a heterosexual relationship and it's a man and a woman but the woman is bisexual the woman will be told like oh so you're straight now or oh so and that's the exact same to you're straight as saying like oh so you're better now you know oh so you only have chronic migraine not Crohn's now Mm -hmm. and people just don't allow room for both for an identity to exist in the absence of what it looks like but like obviously you're still bi or pan or whatever yeah it's so weird (laughs) even if you're in a heterosexual relationship I know I always I always think that you know when people are like "Ah, bi erasure this is bi erasure I always think like this is invisible illness erasure like and and I don't know if you I, I know that you sometimes do like use mobility aids so I think probably that makes the invisible more visible but even then probably people are like well why do you need that but yeah oh it's like oh you're but you're too young to be in a wheelchair i know <laughs> yeah i know yeah there are children yeah. in wheelchairs did I you know agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i didn't know there was an age limit but cool um but I, I feel like something that i really struggle with is um both appreciating and taking advantage of the privilege of having invisible illness and like getting to pretend to be healthy in the situations where it uh, like helps me versus wanting people to know that I struggle and not wanting to have to work twice as hard and wanting the benefits of being disabled. And something where I really see that come up is in my acting career where like I'm constantly submitting to auditions all day long and for like a lot of commercials and like big companies like Disney and um, Target and stuff like that, they'll say like different like categories of what they're looking for, like mm-hmm. women this age, you know, plus size people this age, whatever, whatever. And one of them is disabled adults or whatever. And I always submit and I'm always turned down because I don't yeah. look disabled. Right. Yeah. And and. And that's why we'll never get represented. And it's so wrong because we need the mm-hmm. representation. Part of me understands it because it's like, right, it's like, well, they're looking for people who if you walk into Target and you look at the clothing aisle, you see something. They're looking for people to make them look good. They're looking mm-hmm. for tokens. Exactly. It's tokenism. Exactly. It's so that they can say they've ticked a box. But actually, 80% of disabilities are invisible. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The the gap between disability representation on screen and disability in real life is huge. For invisible illness, it's practically zero. I can't name a book with a disabled, like invisibly disabled main character. I can't name a film. I can't name a TV series. I'm writing one right now because I think that's wrong. But <laughs> I know it's something that I really struggle with. And like, so one of my life's dreams is to be on Grey's Anatomy. Like it's one of my favorite shows. I love it. I have a video of every time they've ever said Crohn's disease, like mashed up because I was so excited. Right. (laughs) And it was literally what I was watching, like when I was in the hospital getting my first surgery for Crohn's and everything. And I always say like, 
It's amazing how hospital shows like Scrubs and Grey's Anatomy are like my go-to comfort shows. Even I know. I think it's because it acknowledges <laughs> like things, my worst right? Place. But yeah, I always yeah. say like they're missing this huge opportunity like i i would want to go on and play anything right how cool would it be to play a character with crohn's or something i know right um hopefully yeah. i wouldn't i and you'd be incredible <laughs> right like, it would be why? so cool why is this not happening but <laughs> like something like that would be awesome right go in and have like a little arc and there's a million characters who come through but i have always thought watching all these medical shows which like i said or like you said are, are comfort shows for me too i always thought like they're missing this huge opportunity of having a like character one of these doctors who is also sick and like you know house kind of has like his addiction and his knee thing and um there's like the really cool arc where turk gets diagnosed with diabetes which i always really held on to because it's maybe the single example of that kind of thing that i could ever look to but like Grey's anatomy there's like a doctor but no protagonists exactly and and there's like a there's a (laughs) a Grey's Anatomy doctor, one of them who, like, was sick in his childhood, but, like, is completely better now and has, like, no side effects, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, how cool to, like, have a character who's, like, oh, yeah, I have chronic whatever, and that's why I got into medicine, and that's why I'm yeah. here working as a doctor, yeah. and, like, yes. they, that's Grey, so Grey's Anatomy is, like, so well. forward-thinking, too, and it has so many, like, different, like, yeah people with different opinions agreeing and disagreeing with each other and I just feel like they're missing this huge disabled voice even though we're watching sick people on screen they always freaking die at the end you know it's like there's no like main character to empathize with as we as we said it's it's not that it's made us better people or whatever I like to think we'd both be nice anyway but disabled stories are so rich they're so varied and diverse because you have to think of so many other things when society isn't designed for you and so our stories yeah. are so interesting. Why isn't that happening? And I, I actually I actually had to stop watching Grey's Anatomy because of the episode where there was a girl whose shoulder kept falling out depicting Ellis Danlos syndrome. And they were just like, we're, we promise we're going to find out what's wrong with you. It's okay. We're going to do everything we can. And they did. And they got the diagnosis. And then they sent her off. And I was like, first of all, that does not happen. Nobody cares. They all just want you gone and out of their office as soon as possible. I always say that whenever they're like, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. Disabled or non-disabled people think that invisible illness is like you're, you get so much attention, yeah. you get so much care, you get financial help, you get medication. And it's, that's just not the truth at all. I completely agree. Every time that I've ever seen them try and diagnose something where it's like, like I'm in pain and they're like we believe you we're gonna figure it out it's like never what happens it's a nice model or whatever I recently um not to spoil this for anyone who hasn't seen it but I I, the real story is so much more interesting and totally I was like watching Grey's Anatomy the other day and there was like this horrific death of someone with ulcerative colitis and I was like watching like my nightmare Mm. like play out right and like Dom came into the room and I was like um I think I need to go lie down. It was very intense, but... This is the thing, yeah. Because I'm... So I'm actually a disability consultant in TV. That is so cool. It's it's so fun. I can't believe... Yeah, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, I get to develop disabled characters and, like, point out ableist language and send markers. And it's for kids' shows, which I think is really, really important. Yeah. But it's also, like, you have to be extra careful because you're bringing up the next generation on these TV shows and that's going to inform their perception of disability. And also the disabled children are going to see themselves and I don't want them to see like a super genius. I don't, I yeah. don't want that because it's not helpful. Yeah, like you have so, to have some sort of a savant power. Like yeah. the, the other thing that I always think about with disability in like film and television, which I don't even know if it's negative or not, but something that I've noticed at least is like, think of like these superheroes it's like really prevalent in the marvel universe and even in avatar Mm -hmm. which we both love yeah where like they have a disabled character but then like the disabled character loki has a superpower which is just the ability that they were disabled in like toph being blind but like kind of being able to see even that one's a little different because it's like she can see in a different way you know what i mean it's like kind of a metaphor but it is like, okay, she's not actually living with this disability to the extent that like normal yeah, people yeah. would and like daredevil and Ugh, like all that kind yeah. of stuff where it's like people who have these disabilities 
and they're superheroes and like it's so cool to see a disabled superhero but then like they the the answer is like well my power makes it so that I don't have to live with my disability I'm like that makes you so unrelatable immediately and literally like it's a quarter of the world or something are disabled that we're an audience we have a huge spending power it's ridiculous that our stories aren't being told yeah would it be so boring to like make them actually have to deal with their disability like is that so important that we have to create like a fictional superpower to make it like see they are disabled but like now they don't really have to be and it's like mm. it's like the same thing is I feel like so many um disabled characters are played by able-bodied actors which is like its own discussion but I know that like they'll cite reasons as like you know um was the guy in Glee who was in the wheelchair Mm. and it would be like oh so he can get up in like fictional dance numbers and do the dance and stuff it's like we don't need that we don't need the dream sequence where the person can stand just give the part to like an actual disabled actor yeah they exist Mm. i have a whole episode on that (laughs) and this dear listener is where my recording cut out luckily just in time for the end of the episode so you didn't miss anything but shannon thank you again so much for being such a wonderful guest and person i literally don't know whether i'd be here without you which is probably what i said to her her recording didn't cut out and this is what she said i can't remember what i said but yeah (laughs) this was really fun Thank you, Blossom Yusuf. I am sweet. Thanks, Shannon. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can leave me a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can also find me on Patreon, Instagram, and YouTube. And for more, check out my newsletter and website, www.twhb.com.